from an ancient sanctuary hidden in the mountains of Japan come Radine, Combatra, and Dangard Ace. Giant robots, operated by three courageous humans, Richard Carson, Genji Adashu, and Ilongo Savage, ready to fight the forces of evil wherever they arise. Stan Lee presents Shogun Warriors. The Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, exploring Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the Star Wars period. Episode 114, Ray Dean, Shogun Warriors, issue number one, cover date, February 1979. Welcome back to Marvel's Cosmic Comics, a comic book podcast where we take a look at Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy from 1977 to 1986. And wow, it's been a long time, too long. And part of that, well, there's a couple different reasons for that. One reason is simply... uh I wanted to do this really, really well, and I kept putting it off until I could put in as much time as I really thought I needed to put into it. And so I just kind of had this sitting in my office. It would get put into my my laptop bag. It would go to work with me every once in a while. It went to uh, a couple weekends away. And uh, this comic book and my main source of information, the back issue magazine from Tomorrow's, it's number 72, which is a great uh, resource, by the way, if you want to get background information about any kind of comic books, uh, back issue magazine, uh, it's amazing. Uh, most of the issues um, are available online as a digital copy for, I think, around, around $4, uh, but then they still have some print copies of, of many of their, especially the newer issues. Uh, I happen to have the print copy, and so Shogun Warriors issue number one was shoved into back issue number 72 and just kind of carried around like that for a long time and I just never got around to it and I was just feeling like it it was a a cloud hanging over me you know and um you know this this podcast uh the Marvel's Cosmic Comics podcast goes out on two feeds one feed is just the Marvel Cosmic Comics feed and then the other feed is the regular comic book time machine feed and I used to do it in different ways but now it's just the same episode goes out to both feeds and um at the same time. Uh, but on com- the comic book time machine feed, it really didn't matter too much that I wasn't doing Marvel cosmic comics because Matt Anderson and I were continuing to create episodes. And so that one, uh, the episodes have been coming off semi-regularly, you know, the, the comic book time machine podcast feed is one that is, um, uh, it, honestly, it's, it's not, uh, as update as much as, you know, my welcome to level seven podcast where I'm doing weekly content or close to it, especially when there's a weekly show going on. And yes, but anyway, uh, comic book time machine, that feed getting updated. Yeah. The Marvel stuff, the Marvel cosmic comic stuff isn't coming out on that feed, but that's not that big of a deal. On the other hand, the Marvel cosmic comics feed (laughs) hasn't had anything since April and it's October right now. And I just, you know, I, it just came down to, um, I, I took a look at it and said to myself, you know what, ain't nothing to it, but to do it. You know what, if I can't do it the way that I really wanted to, what's stopping me from doing it slightly different. 
and what's stopping me from, you know, just being able to read the comic, have fun with it and, and then talk about it. So that's what I did. Um, I just decided I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it now. Let's get this going so I can read more, you know, this, this month, this February of, uh, February 1979 cover date. You know, there's a, there's still, I got Godzilla. I need to talk about. I've got, um, John Carter. I need to talk about. I mean, I've got things I need to talk about. Micronauts, micronauts. I mean, come on. And so all that stuff has just been er, stopped, put on the, on the wayside. Now, what also got me doing this was because I've been reading, uh, a, a different comic every night of the, of the month for October and just thinking to myself, you know what? If I can do a mini blog post for Comic Book Time Machine, uh, every night, I can at least, you know, get one episode about Shogun Warriors out, you know? Um, which by the way, go to comicbooktimemachine.com. I have been reading a horror comic every, day of this month and it's included um there's a spider-man um team up with man thing in there there's a bunch of anthology books in there um there's upcoming i'm i'm reading uh tomb of dracula monster frankenstein and uh werewolf by night very excited about those and you know i would do honestly if i wasn't so far behind on this marvel sci-fi stuff i would want to do a marvel horror um podcast going through tomb of dracula and you know frankenstein wolf uh werewolf by night rather and um that would be a lot of fun but that's the kind of thing where i would absolutely not be able to do that on my own i just just only so much time in a month in a day you know and i've got my kids are getting old you know i've got a 17 year old now that just makes me feel really really old um but speaking of my kids, uh, my seven-year-old made me break my my rule about these comics. Um, I read to him this first issue of Shogun Warriors, and he really, really liked it and wanted more. And so I busted out um, my bag that has uh, issue two in it and read issue two to him. And uh, I'll probably be reading with him uh, some of the other issues as well. I don't know if I'm going to you know, break away and bust them out early. But I've now also read issue number two. And uh, I don't normally do that. I don't want to do that. But it's for my kid. You know, I, you can't say no to your kid. And, and truthfully, I, I can't say no to that kid. I really need to start saying no more. Because right now, our living room is just covered in Pokemon cards. And uh, yeah, I really should have said no more and sooner. Although it was fun to learn how to play the Pokemon and, and play it with him. But that's neither here nor there. Although I guess it is kind of related because Shogun Warriors is based on a Japanese, uh, a handful of Japanese properties, just like Pokemon is a, a Japanese property that came over to the States. And Shogun Warriors, actually, maybe Pokemon wouldn't happen the way it had happened if, if we didn't have Shogun Warriors. But um, yeah, so I, I've got the comic book out and I've, I've read it. Um, I've read second issue, which I wasn't supposed to. Um, but, uh, yeah, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk a little bit about the plot. I'm going to do some flashbacks and stuff. And, uh, we're just going to talk about where this, what this comic book is and, and where it came from. And so, uh, this issue is called just Radine. And that's because we are primarily going to be with Radine. The cover, um, aside from saying first issue collector's item, which is very important, has just, uh, one giant robot on the cover. It's Radine. And then behind him, there are two silhouettes. And they are uh, Dangard Ace and Combatra. And they 
appear in this comic, but they are not a, an important part of this comic. Uh, this is definitely, you know, first issue. We are setting things up and we start just in the middle of things. We start with Radine in battle with Rockor. And from within Radine, we hear voices or we see dialogue balloons that sound like they aren't quite sure what they're doing. They're saying things like, um, wish we had more time to prepare for this fight. So apparently they're, they're newbies at this, but it's a, it's a cool fight. There's a, it's a dynamic looking fight and it's, there's some cool stuff going on with cool weapons and abilities from both the giant heroic robot and the giant evil looking robot creature. And Radine has an awesome shield that comes out and a, a bird missile that fires from its chest, but it keeps getting knocked down and they're barely surviving the attacks that Rakaor throws at it. And as they're, you know, just just getting through one more attack, one of the people from inside says, "Another close call, but we did it." Now, if someone would just answer one question, how did we ever get into this? And that is the comic book's uh, segue into a flashback. It's also going to be my segue into a flashback to find out, you know, how did we get into this comic? So the narrator in the comic agrees that the question is a good question, and, and I agree with the narrator. But I'm going to flash back to 1979. Uh, Mattel has a license. This license is for a handful of, of toys. Mattel licensed these toys from companies in Japan, and they license like 13 or 14 different characters. Now, I don't know all the different characters, who they are. Um, reading through the list, I honestly, I under, uh, I recognized a couple of them. Um, but yeah, so there's 17 robot. There's, this is from Wikipedia, by the way. <laughs> uh, there's Combatra. There's, uh, Dimos, Dangard Ace, Dragon. That's a cool name, by the way. Dragon. Ah, oh, man. That's one of those names. I wish I had never heard that name so I could have been the one who created the name but i i didn't uh guy king grandizer great manzinger leopardon poseidon raiden raiden and voltes voltes five and raider there's also as part of this licensing package that they kind of put together into one toy line uh godzilla and rodan now uh the one name that i really recognized was uh Leopardon, and that's because that's the giant robot that Spider-Man used in the Japanese Spider-Man live-action TV show, which, by the way, really neat. There's some really neat stuff they do in it. There's some really weird stuff they do in it, too, but there's some really neat stuff that they do in it. I also recognize Guy King, and um, I think I've even seen an episode or two of that, and I recognize, what's the other one? Well, obviously Godzilla and Rodan. Um, maybe that was the maybe that was the one was Guy King. No, uh, um, Manzinger. Um, I recognize that one. But uh, they had all these toys, and the they formed a toy line. They didn't have any stories to go along with them for Mattel's toy line, but they all had stories to go with them from anime shows in Japan. But. Uh, when they brought him over to the States, this is just like um, what happened with Micronauts, happened with Rom Space Knight. And uh, they kind of said, hey, run with it, create something for us. Uh, so they come to Marvel and say, hey, Marvel, 
Let's do it. Let's make things happen here. And so Marvel puts together a team. And uh, the writing side of the team comes from Doug Mensch. And this guy, you know, we've talked about him before and we will talk about him again, I'm sure. But this is the man who created Moon Knight and, and Deathlock. And uh, there's some really cool stuff. Like I said, Back Issue Magazine is one of those uh, things that if you are into comics history and you like reading things like the untold uh, story of Marvel Comics or if you like listening to podcasts and finding out background information about you know comic book stories that you like and that kind of thing, uh, Back Issue Magazine is your thing. And their website has a really robust search engine. So if you are just interested in one specific thing, like one time I just put in Hercules to see if they had any articles about uh, Hercules and it brings up the issues that they mention that in. And it's not just back issue. They also have, uh, I think it's right stuff is one of the magazines that they have. And they also have, um, uh, kind of an annual thing called comic book creator, which issue six of comic book creator is the swamp men, uh, volume. It's a nice giant or, or large size anyway. Um, trade paperback, uh, not, not a magazine, magazine size that's actually probably the best way to describe it. it's magazine size but it's not um the thickness of magazine and the cover is a much uh, sturdier cover and yeah so tomorrow's is really if you are into comics man that is the place to go and and get some really good um fan related materials and creator interviews and, and that kind of thing so anyway that plug is uh, out of the way. But in that magazine, in issue number 72 from cover date May 2014, Doug Mensch says, because um, uh, he, he had worked on a lot more um, adult stuff, I guess. Uh, and they said, I, I, uh, they said, look, I know you're not known for this kind of stuff, but maybe that's what we need, a more adult take. I said, I want to do the opposite. A real freewheeling fun thing that's specifically aimed at much younger readers. But I'll try to do it in a way older readers will enjoy it. This will help me keep up the workflow. As long as there's variety, it won't feel like there's just more work. It was like a breath of fresh air to me. Then he says, I was familiar with Japanese robots. I wasn't aware of the Shogun Warriors names at the time. I think actually Stan Lee asked me, hey, how would you like to do Shogun Warriors? I was taken aback a little bit. A guy had come from Japan with a bunch of toys. I guess they were trying to seal the deal with Marvel. I thought, wow, I could be a real star with my kid. One of them was a three-foot-tall Radine, a really tall thing, and I got to take him home. I was right. My kid was thrilled. All of his friends couldn't believe it. And uh, then he also, um, I mean, he's not the only one who got toys, but um, he, uh, man, I just get jealous when I see that kind of thing. <laughs> I get really jealous. Like, I want to do that. I would love to do that. Someone give me their toy line. Let me write, uh, make up the backstory for your toys. Let me sit down and, and watch my kid play with them and see what he does. You know, uh, anyway, then, um, when he talked about like coming up with the story and stuff, uh, they basically said, I remember I was told, don't worry, don't worry about it. It's okay if it's different. Um, and so they, they were able to start just with a clean blank slate. The artist on this is Herb Trimpey, uh, who m probably most famous for his work on the Hulk, but then it's, for my purposes, uh, Godzilla. And for some upcoming purposes, he also worked on planet of the apes, uh, which I may do some sort of something about Planet of the Apes. I'm not going to do any, you know, the indexing that I do here. Uh, G.I. Joe, he worked on Transformers. Um, he worked on Star Wars. And then he also, for the future of this podcast, uh, worked on the further adventures of Indiana Jones. 
And the way he described the way he was doing his job back then, he says, uh, I was a quota artist, which was non-contractual, but I received a salary. I got a regular two-week check, and anything I did over quota, I could voucher for as freelance income. I also had the extras, the company benefits. It was like a regular job, but I worked at home. It was a good deal. And so that kind of explains why this guy is able to work on so much stuff and do it so quickly. And yet, uh, with a lot of energy. I mean, this this issue of Shogun Warriors... It was, it, there's a lot of energy to it. And, um, I get the feeling that he's very familiar with the characters. And the reason why he was very familiar with the characters is, uh, they let him take those toys home. <laughs> uh, he got to take them home and use them as his, uh, models for it. He did a lot of work on a lot of, uh, different, uh, licensed stuff though. And he, he says, uh, as someone pointed once pointed out, I had never realized this after 30 years working at Marvel, I did a lot of the licensed stuff. In fact, I think I did almost solely the licensed stuff on a regular basis. I think I started drawing Shogun warriors because nobody else wanted to do that. It wasn't the mainline superhero, which suited me because superheroes are boring. How many times does Superman die? He also goes on to talk about um, working with Shogun Warriors versus working on Transformers. And he says, if I had to put Transformers and Shogun Warriors aside and someone asked me which is more appealing, I would have said Shogun Warriors because Transformers don't make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> it's kid stuff. One of them just turned into a big gun. Being on Transformers was a nightmare. In Shogun, people operate the thing. It's not aliens from another planet. They transformed, but they transformed into a very logical shape using the parts at hand. I can't really talk about Shogun Warriors without thinking of Transformers. They're opposite poles of a magnet, side by side and pushing away at each other. Uh, yeah, and so he, uh, Mensch talks about working with Herb Trimpe, and he says, I always enjoyed working with Herb Trimpe. I loved his style, his storytelling. You know, it's a different experience with every artist. Some of them, they're hard to write for because the art isn't exactly what you thought of or it isn't a match for your writing style. With Herb, it already flows from image to image, so you don't have to put in exposition or, or dialogue or a caption so people can make sense with what they're trying to read, saying, hey, I know the art doesn't show this, but I never had to worry about that with, with Trimpy. And so what uh, he's talking about is kind of, I think, the, the Marvel method, where you come up with an outline for the story, hand it to the artist, the artist then realizes that outline uh, in art, and then the writer comes back and does the the dialogue and, and fills in captions and dialogue. And that's why a lot of times uh, Stan Lee would have lots of captions, because he's kind of filling in the blanks of what's missing from the story that either Jack... Uh, Kirby or whoever didn't put in or to make the story understandable because of, you know, the way that, that it was drawn. It might be things that you're, you're not quite sure what's happening between panels. Um, and why did we jump from this thing to that thing? Or where did this character go? That kind of thing. And so you get a lot of show rather, rather than tell. And, uh, and, and that's actually a, a great, great, uh, a compliment to give to an artist. That's one thing I think the, possibly maybe maybe it's not the right compliment <laughs> but to me when i give a compliment to an artist uh the greatest compliment that i can give to an artist that i'm working with anyway is that they have made the page look better than i imagined in my head when i described it on the page 
And that happened actually quite a bit when I was working regularly. And my artist uh, for The Hedge Knight, uh, Mike Miller, and my artist for uh, Armor Quest, Sherwin Schwartzrock, and then my artist for The Christ, um, Sergio Cariello. I mean, those guys always just made it sing. And, and they would take my descriptions and turn them into these works of art. And I just couldn't believe uh, what they had done. And so that's the other thing that I get to do whenever I'm talking about works that I've worked on. Every once in a while, I'll say something to my wife when I look at something I've done and I'll say, uh, I think this is one of the best things I've ever done. But that's just me kind of whispering it to my wife. <laughs> and uh, On the other hand, when I'm talking about the art, I have worked with some amazing, amazing artists and I can brag on them until the cows come home because it has nothing to do with anything that I did. It's just them, their skill, their abilities. And I was just blessed to be able to be a part of uh, the artistic process that they were doing. So anyway, uh, Trimpy says also, um, when he talks about like how they were kind of how the toy company was getting involved, he said, we had a lot of freedom then nobody stuck their nose in. No one said, look, Doug, look, Herb, this has to be changed. We never had to deal with that. We just went ahead with it. So that's kind of the, the background there of, um, where the toys came from and who was working on it and kind of what they were having, what they had going on when they were working on it. Um, we're going to get into the story, obviously, of the Shogun Warriors as we follow the comic book line. But uh, here's the storyline behind Combatra from, from Wikipedia. It says, thousands of years ago, the people of the planet Campbell decided to leave their planet and seek out new worlds to inhabit. One group, led by the scientist Oriana, landed on Earth but was delayed from their mission. In the early 21st century, Oriana's group reawakens and begins their plan to conquer the Earth. The only effective defense against the Cambellians' giant biomechanical slave beasts is the, and I love this phrase, the super electromagnetic robot Combatler 5 and its pilots. Super electromagnetic robot Combatler 5. Uh, yeah, I love that name. Uh, again, man, I wish I would have thought of it, but I didn't, and so I can't use it. But it's so cool that I would love to steal it. Dangard Ace takes place on a future Earth in which natural resources have been depleted. Again, I'm reading. This is directly from Wikipedia. I had planned to go and watch some of these things and um, try and you know track some of these things down, see a couple episodes at least of each of these. And that was one of those things that just kept me from doing this episode. And this is one of those things where I just had to say to myself, Ben, step back. You are making this work. <laughs> you are making this work, uh, which... Reminds me of a dad joke that I was telling at church the other day. We have a uh, seminar coming up called Making Marriage Work. And I'm just like, I don't want to make it work. I want to make it play. Um, because it's the verb versus the noun. Never mind. Um, anyway, so yeah, I'm reading directly from <laughs> from Wikipedia. Uh, Dan Gardace takes place on a future Earth in which natural resources have been depleted. People have begun looking toward other planets to survive, in particular to the fictional 10th planet, Promete. Although people had hoped to peacefully settle there, disaster strikes as the first explorers are destroyed by betrayal. After this event, an individual named Mr. Doppler leaves toward Promete on his own ship and, decide, and declares himself Chancellor of the planet. Using Promete's resources, Chancellor Doppler constructs a vast military force greater than that of Earth's. He forbids anyone from approaching the planet under the insane belief that only he is entitled to it to gain control of Promete. The governments of Earth begin constructive, begin, ugh. the governments of Earth begin constructing massive combat robots. Doppler is able to attack and destroy all of them before they are completed. 
except for Dangard Ace. The forces sent to attack Dangard's base were destroyed because of the efforts of Captain Dan. Nothing is known of this mysterious man except that he previously served Doppler while under mind control. Takuma Ikojima Monji, the son of the man who betrayed the initial Promet exploration team, becomes a cadet at Dangard's base. Anyway, it's from planetary robot Dangard Ace. And then Radine, after a slumber of 12 millennia, the demon empire awakens to seize control of the earth. Radine, the giant robot-like protector of the lost continent of Mu, senses the evil presence and awakens within its golden pyramid. A young Japanese boy, Akira Hibiki, has alerted about the demon empire by a mysterious voice and rushes to the pyramid. It is soon revealed that Akira is a descendant of the ancient people of Mu who must help Radine save the earth. Akira enters the robot by accelerating his motorcycle to a high speed and then throws himself upward, allowing to a beam from the robot to pull him into the robot's head and into an internal cockpit where he assumes control of Radine. Akira is aided by Mary Sakurano, who happens to be a daughter of a prominent scientist and is friends from the soccer club. <laughs> Halfway through the story, the, demons, the Demon Empire's master, Barreo, is released from his statue prison and intends to finish what he started 12,000 years earlier. So that's where all these characters come from. That stuff that I just read has nothing to do with what we're about to talk about as far as this comic book goes. Doug Mensch, he does. He creates from whole cloth a really interesting and compelling, um, if simplistic, storyline. And, uh, yeah, I mean, my son, rightfully so, wanted to hear what happens next. And I did, too. I wanted to know what happens next. And so I didn't mind breaking my rule uh, on a selfish level, even. Although I wouldn't have broken my rule if, if my son hadn't pushed me towards it. So anyway, meanwhile, back in the story, um, we flash back to the origin story of our three characters, our three um, modern characters who are going to follow. And we find out the origin story of what's going on with this robot, Radine, and the other robot, Rockord. So we flash back to four people who are living in Shogun Sanctuary and they are watching a volcano erupt and they're monitoring the world. And as they um, are doing this, they're saying to themselves that they're going to face the greatest challenge that they have ever seen since the great chaos wars, which sounds really interesting. A monster bursts forth from the volcano and it proves that their enemy Markon has awakened and this forces them to seek out their three warrior prospects. Apparently, they have a really supercomputer that um, is able to take data from all humans everywhere. And so based on this data that pertains to every, <laughs> quote, suitable and available person on the planet, <laughs> three have been selected. And now they're about to be transported to the sanctuary. So without their consent and as they are still driving their um, their regular vehicles, uh, they are pulled into the sanctuary. So this is Genji Udashu, who she's a Japanese pilot uh, about to land her plane in Manila. And I don't know how this works based on physics, but they transport that plane into their transporter room as it's landing. And so I'm not sure what happened to the forward momentum there. Uh, it reminds me of Star Trek, the first Star Trek reboot relaunch re whatever uh, movie and they're skydiving and before they hit the earth they get transported away and the for forward momentum goes away and so they just they transport into the transporter room and they just land on the ground and um they don't die and, and i guess it makes sense because it's not like they're taking them from the place 
and then they're continuing the fall. It's not like they're they're put through a tube um, because they are, I guess, replacing and rebuilding. Like they're taking the the particles and you know everything and they're rebuilding it in the transporter room so i guess maybe it does make sense that you would lose the forward forward momentum um i don't know i'm I'm thinking too much about this probably right now um uh, next we have alongo savage who is an african uh, marine biologist who is um in the ocean outside of uh, madagascar and is in a diving uh bell kind of thing and that comes with him. Uh, then there's Richard Carson, an American stunt driver who is brought in from his stunt car, um, which is also brought with them um, as he's going in, you know, he's in the middle of the stunt. And uh, so, yeah, these are the three, the three people who from all the people in the world um, based on availability and, and suitability uh, are brought into the sanctuary and they are not happy about being there, but they're going to get the flashback themselves. They're going to find out why they are there. Will the testimony of the people from the sanctuary change their minds? Well, let's find out. I mean, we all know the answer because we read the beginning of the story, but uh, they say from its very creation, earth had been marked by evil. Upon the first appearance of non-sentient life on this virgin planet, it was investigated, then explored, then finally declared ripe for conquest. The ancestors of Markon lost little time in launching their program, and thus, for a period of time, evil ran rampant, holding sway over the defiled planet Earth. The balance had been tipped, the gauntlet thrown, and so our ancestors, the first followers of the light took up the challenge contesting Earth's conquerors. Now, here at this point, I want to uh, point out that these aliens, they come in a flying saucer. They come in flying saucers, which is kind of going along with that whole uh, chariot of the gods kind of thing where, you know, um, or panspermia, where Earth is, uh, you know, populated by aliens uh, up front. Um, yeah, the both sets of aliens come in UFOs, circle, flying saucers, the bad guys, um, they, they all also both wear uh, space suits that look like they come straight out of a 50s sci-fi movie. Um, that kind of thing where they're wearing more like a plastic bag over cloth clothing uh, to give it some sort of uh, sci-fi feel. Uh, but then they're also all both the good aliens and the bad aliens are wearing um, globes, uh, uh, transparent uh, globes over their head for their their space helmets. The good guys are blonde and white, and the bad guys are red and have fangs. And one of them has a Fu Manchu mustache, and they're all wearing the kind of Ming the Merciless style of bald cap. Then began the Great Chaos Wars, which lasted eons and ended with the defeat of darkness. The last lieutenants, led by Markon, were trapped in their underground base, sealed in suspended animation. After the wars, only a few of our ancestors remained here, building this sanctuary and acting as sentinels, never meddling in the affairs of you native Earthmen until now. Yesterday, a long, dormant volcano erupted above the site of the Chaos Wars' final battle, breaking the state of suspended animation of the subterranean vault of evil. 
Lord Marcon and his agents were awakened. As expected, they have renewed their ancient struggle, drawing upon the hot blood of the earth itself <laughs> to create, through their perverted alchemy of sorcery and science, monstrous servants of evil. This they had done many times during the Great Wars, and fearing their return, each generation of our ancestors has taken a vow to watch and wait and guard against evil's second coming. The watching and waiting has ended. So the story is suitably dramatic, and of course, it works. You know, they they decide uh, when they come back from the flashback that um, they are going to go back into battle. And so only one mighty mechanical warrior is ready. And the three of them answer the call to action. They suit up, and the suits that they wear are pretty cool suits. They look like a, a classic you know, 70s anime kind of thing that you'd see maybe in um, Voltron. So I guess that's the 80s, but um, maybe, uh, you know, Battle of the Planets, Voltron or uh, a Robotech, that kind of thing. And they they get trained, but not much. And that's why they have such a hard time in this battle. Uh, but as they fight, they are able to. Uh, and as we come back from the flashback, they defeat Rakor, except as he's lying there, lava leaks out and that lava comes back to life. And so this fulfills the prophecy from the first line of the uh, the issue. It says, today, a warrior spawned in the dim past created by a science of the far future shall begin his first battle, finding triumph and failure, failure in triumph. What does that even mean? Well, <laughs> they were able to get the creature far enough away from the city and into the wilderness that the creature is now lost. And so while the creature doesn't lose the battle, the creature actually kind of wins the battle, uh, the creature has gotten lost. So the creature has not lost, but it has gotten lost. And they have time now to go back to the sanctuary. And um, they go back to the followers of light. I mean... Yeah, good guys, the bad guys, followers of light, followers of dark. Like I said, a little simplistic sometimes, but um, they get back there and they reveal to the pilots they have two more giant battle robot suits and they are ready for the next issue. And so was my son and so was I. So I've read the second issue. But anyway, you know, my son made me break my rule, but he didn't twist my arm to do it. <laughs> so anyway, um I, I, that's the issue. And you know what? This is off to a good start, off to a really good start. Now, what's really cool about this for me anyway, is that there's a podcast I listen to called earth destruction directive, which I'll play the podcast promo after the credits here. Um, and in his podcast in episode number 19, uh, which is called the mission is a giant monster. He started doing uh, an index of the Shogun warriors, uh, comic books. And so as he was doing that, I was listening to his podcast and I knew I was going to be reading this at some point in time. And so I would stop every one of those episodes when he got to the comic book part uh, for the entire time that he did the Shogun Warriors series. And when he finished Shogun Warriors, he then started in on Godzilla. And so I was able to, for, you know, the last batch of episodes where he's doing the Godzilla thing, I could listen to the whole episode, no problem. But I have a handful of episodes where I am just waiting to listen to what he has to say because uh, Luke Giaconetti, the host of that show, he, he's he's a great podcaster. And uh, one day I would love to be able to do uh, some sort of 
you know, guest thing on his podcast or something and talk about, I don't know, uh, Matango or something, but, um, I don't know, just, just, I'd love to be able to do something with him sometime. Um, that's actually a lot of the podcasts that I listen to though. <laughs> so yeah, that's just me. Uh, anyway, uh, I would recommend, you know, if you're, if you're liking this, uh, you know, listen to his podcast as well. His, his coverage of Godzilla was fantastic and wonderful. And those, those Godzilla comic books, I enjoy listening to him talk about these comics that I've already read or recently read. Uh, but with this, now I get to go back and, and hear what he has to say about those. And, uh, his podcast itself is about Godzilla and, um, rubber suited monsters and, and, Ultraman and it's just, it's a lot of fun and it definitely hits a lot of my sweet spots as far as the pop culture stuff that I enjoy, uh, watching and, and then the podcasts that I like listening to tend to be the, you know, about stuff that I enjoy. And so that's another reason why, um, you know, he's a great podcaster, but at the same time, he's talking about stuff that I really like too. So there's that. So I do want to thank you for listening to this podcast. You can find more about Marvel and their licensed sci-fi books over at uh, comicbooktimemachine.com. Uh, this month, October 2018, like I said, I'm doing a blog post every day about a different horror comic that I've read. Uh, I've done stuff with, uh, like I said, Man-Thing and Spider-Man, um, Aliens, Wolf and Bird, uh, Counselors of the Macabre, um, War is Hell, which was probably the most surprising one for me, and I really would love to track down those issues. They're proving to be a lot more expensive than I would like to purchase, so uh, we'll see if I ever uh, do track down those issues, but uh, that was a really great first uh, first issue of a new start for that magazine. I think it's issue number nine, but... Um, yeah, you can read about them there. Uh, next episode of Comic Book Time Machine is probably going to be part of my week of weird. That'll be uh, seven days from October 25th to October 31st, where I'll be doing an episode per day about something in comics that is weird and is also you know something to do with, with scariness or horror or at least scary adjacent. <laughs> but uh, some of the topics will be weird team-ups, weird crossover, weird um, weird choices that power records made about, um, <laughs> what, uh, what horror stories they were going to tell. And it's all stuff that, uh, that I've enjoyed. And I will also be doing a, a flyover of my month of reading. Uh, that'll be on the last episode of that week of weird. So like I said, thank you so much for listening and you can contact us at uh, feedback at comicbooktimemachine.com. You can also go to our Facebook page where we are facebook.com slash comicbooktimemachine and on Twitter where we are comic time, although we haven't used that much lately. So yeah, thanks for listening and uh, no matter where you are, what you're doing, uh, you should be reading the comic books that you enjoy and uh, have fun with those. So until next time, like I said, thanks for listening and Godspeed. Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, 
What Ifs and Elseworlds, The Six Million Dollar Man and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time. Coming soon, from a war-torn microverse they fled to Earth, the Micronauts, issue number two. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi folks, Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters? Or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman, or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at twotruefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. Reality.